Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Logos Project. This is your host, Dom, and I'm joined by my friend, Drew. Uh, and uh, Drew and I are uh, starting a series on uh, the Second Vatican Council. Uh, precisely, we're starting with the document on the vocation of the laity, uh, which is pronounced apostolicam actuositatem. Uh, and, or is that correct? Yes, apostolicam actuositatem. And so we're going to be going through the document together. Drew, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Dom. I'm really glad you said that because if I attempted to say the Latin there, it would have been embarrassing. So, But I'm excited to go through this with everybody. I think it's good stuff. We went through it at my parish recently, and the amount of people who were like, whoa, that's all really cool. I didn't even know that existed. Was uh, Well, there was too many people saying that. So yep, I think it's yep. good to go through. Yeah, we oftentimes hear, you know, uh, things about the Second Vatican Council, but, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people haven't read it, which is, you know, a common criticism that goes around. Well, you know what, instead of criticizing, we're just going to read it together and we're going to think it through, you know, maybe give some context, some commentary. And uh, as lay people, you and I hopefully will benefit from what the church has to teach us here. So I'm looking sure. forward to it, man. Yeah, I think it'll be good. And and just so everyone's aware, it's not like we did hours of prep work either. Just before this, both <laughs> of us were going, oh, I didn't prep at all. Did you? No. So we're going to wing it. We're going to read it with fresh eyes, just like anyone reading it for the first time, which I think will actually be beneficial because it'll show that, you know, even even if you're not studious or like studying something to the nth degree, you can still read these types of documents and get something from it. You know, it's kind of like scripture. Even if you're not like a scripture scholar, you can read it and get yeah. something from it. So hopefully it encourages everyone watching to, to just go read this stuff. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah. So unprepared as we are, uh, I say let's dive right into it. Let's go ahead let's and uh, open up this document. Uh, so I got my big volume here of, of the Vatican II <laughs> texts uh, so I can have the footnotes ready, you know, on the page instead of at the end. But nice. uh, but you let's see, you, you brought up the we're going to share our screen here, um, which is so that people can follow along with us. Yeah, I've got it in Firefox here. As the uh, only Catholic YouTuber without a bookcase behind me, I have to put things <laughs> up on the computer. So <laughs> you got to break the trend, man. Yeah. yeah, I know that meme goes around, and I'm like, I'm the only one. Someday, you know, this is temporary. Hopefully, I just need to get more books. That's the real thing. Like, if there's like six books, that's not cool. No. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, this All is right. the this is the document, and you can just go. You can search decree on the apostolate of the lady in Google. Find it pretty quickly. It's just on Vatican.va. Mm -hmm. So this was promulgated on November eighteenth, nineteen sixty five. Um, and I'll just read maybe this first chunk of paragraph one, and we can go from there. Let's do it. Okay. To intensify the apostolic activity of the people of God, the Most Holy Synod earnestly addresses itself to the laity whose proper and indispensable role in the mission of the church has already been dealt with in other documents. The apostolate of the laity derives from their Christian vocation and the church can never be without it. Sacred scripture clearly shows how spontaneous and fruitful such activity was at the very beginning of the church. Excellent. Yeah, I, I definitely have a different translation here. Uh, oh, I don't really? know which one is more accurate. That would be interesting to look at. I don't know um, Latin, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> but you know what? That That's actually a great first point, right? The fact that we're dealing with translations, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to here and there. So I apologize. But, you know, online, it's it's uh, fashionable sometimes to criticize certain things, right? <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we're going to look at some documents and criticize them, we got to remember, you know, let's, you know, 
it's a translation, first of all. Right. And the Latin terms used by the church, um, by the council fathers, right, are very specific and usually have a theological history. So we're, we're delving, I think, into something that's, you know, there's a lot more going on than a surface reading. But that being said, um, all right, let's let's look at this paragraph. I, I like how it cites, you know, Acts, you know, 11, 18, Romans mm -hmm. 16, Philippians 4. Um. Yeah, we I mean, could go through. Go ahead. I was gonna say we could we could pull those up. I don't know when I do. That's that, what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah. Um. Here, if you give me just a second, I can pull them up. If you want to sure, go yeah. just to the two the two person view. Um. Yep. Yeah. Let me go ahead and do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And meanwhile, as you as you're doing that, you know, my translation here has, in its desire to intensify the apostolic activity of the people of God, and it has a footnote here. It says. Uh, I'm going to use Bible Gateway for, for the quickness of it, even though. Yep, that's what I would do. Okay. Um, here it's a reference to uh, Pope St. John the uh Apostolic Constitution on Humane Salutis from 1961. So there's all these references here. Anyway, the council now earnestly turns its thoughts to the Christian lady. My translation is from Father Finian. Um. Mention has already been made in other documents of the lady's special and indispensable role in the mission of the church. And here it refers us to um, Dogmatic Constitution De Ecclesia, which is interesting. I feel like this was before Lumen Gentium. That's weird. Wait, chapter 4, number 33. Interesting. I think it's referring to uh, a draft and not to Lumen Gentium. That's hmm. really Anyway. That's, that's nerdy stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's easy to get in says, the weeds with that stuff. It's important, though. Go ahead. Yeah. No, and, and my translation continues. Indeed, the church can never be without the lay apostolate. It is something that derives from the layman's very vocation as a Christian. Scripture clearly shows how spontaneous and fruitful was this activity in the church's early days. So uh, I think it's a great idea to go through those quotes. Yeah, I have the verses up here. So if you, if you put that back up, I can just switch to them. So the first one it references is, Acts chapter 11, uh, verses okay. 19 through 21. And don't mind all these ads being thrown at me here. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I click reader, does it do it? Nice. There we go. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, no. It has all the ads there, too. Okay. Can't get away <laughs> from it. All right. Anyways, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So that's the first one. Um, so you see that missionary activity there. Yeah, of, and it's, and it's uh, coming Christians. from, I mean, it's coming from laity, right? Like they're spreading the gospel mm -hmm. before there's an official church being established there. Uh, let's yeah. see, the next one is same book, chapter 18, verse 26, in the book of Acts. Hey, Drew, I hate yep. to interrupt you. I think that popping noise is back. Oh, man. I was wondering if this was going to happen. You know what <laughs> I, I've determined it is? It's when I'm in a browser, like on some oh. show like this. Um, I don't know how to fix it really quick now that we're live. <laughs> I was yeah, hoping no if it was going to happen, it would happen before yeah. we're talking. Um, Let's just power through. Okay, we'll power through, and then next time I'll use a different mic. Um, Acts 18.26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when, Pris when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Someone's really interesting because you have laity, yeah. you know, explaining and teaching people. 
who are speaking, mm-hmm. um, in this case in the synagogue. Romans 16, 1 through 16. That's that's a bit longer. Um, I'm not going to read that whole thing because if you look at it, yeah. it's mostly it's mostly talking about various lay people who are working in the church. It's greeting all of them. Uh, this is kind of at the end of the letter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, you can see all of them who are in the family, people who have worked hard for the Lord. You mm-hmm. know, so-and-so was a mother to me, Paul is saying. So you can just see that there's a whole slew of people that are really involved in the earliest mission of the church that are that are distinctly lay people. Yeah, dang, the that, last... the popping is getting worse. It's getting worse, okay. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I had to... Maybe I could pull... Okay. You know, I should have pulled them up this whole time. Um. That was, so that was Romans 16. Let, I'll pull up Philippians. Philippians okay. 4, chapter 3. Let me go ahead and pull that up. It's weird because when you don't talk, it doesn't pop. Philippians 4. Let's go ahead and do the NRSV. CE, why not? And I'll just read it to the audience. It said verse uh, 3, 4, 3. Uh, it says here, Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, now that term also comes back, um, co-workers uh, of the truth, in this very document, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, um, let me real quick. I'll just switch to Apple headphones. Um, okay. And then I'll then we can read the next section. So if you have if you have one last point about this first paragraph, maybe it's a good time to rattle it out. Okay. Well, I actually I do. So um, yeah, you can go ahead and change the uh, headphones. So yeah, about this. Uh, I mean, it kind of starts off from the get go, right? Which is the uh, vocation and the uh, uh, activity of lay people. Now, uh, I think this is actually uh, this was very misunderstood after the council. Uh, because we saw everything in terms of roles and um, an activity in the sense of activism. And uh, I think we sell the council short here. It's a lot more profound. It's talking about uh, an activity that isn't merely activism. And it's not talking about, you know, uh, democratizing the office of priesthood, right? And uh, or reducing the priesthood just merely to a role and not a sacrament. And therefore, if it is a role, then why can't the lay people also have the priestly role that ministerial priests have? So a huge misunderstanding happened here in, in language like this in the council. And maybe we could talk about this later. But uh, Pope Benedict, when he was uh, a the- uh, you know, before he was pope, actually gets into this and refers to the council and to the deliberations in the council on this very point. But that being said, we got Drew his back. Um, uh, I say we continue, Drew, unless you got anything to add. How's that? Can you hear me now? Uh, you're back. There now, we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I should have just started with the Apple headphones. This is, it's so funny because like we ran that whole podcast the other night and no one reported any popping when it was through my system. Yeah. But I think when I go on to like a browser, it could just be uh, that it's not compatible with that web browser and it causes issues, but we'll figure it out for the next one for sure. Um, okay. Yep. Yes. I'm good to go on to the next paragraph now that everyone can hear me. Let's do it. This is where it starts to get good for us today, I think. So. Our own times require of the laity no less zeal. In fact, modern conditions demand that their apostolate be broadened and intensified. With a constantly increasing population, continual progress in science and technology, and closer interpersonal relationships, 
the areas for the lay apostolate have been immensely widened, particularly in fields that have been for the most part open to the laity alone. These factors have also occasioned new problems which demand their expert attention and study. This apostolate becomes more imperative in view of the fact that many areas of human life have become increasingly autonomous. Just to interject for a second, like this is prophetic because that was the yeah. 60s, right? Mm -hmm. This is as it should be, but sometimes involves it sometimes involves a degree of departure from the ethical and religious order and a serious danger to Christian life. Besides, in many places where priests are very few or in some instances deprived of due, due freedom for priestly work, the church could scarcely exist and function without the activity of the laity. Okay, that's a great juncture right there because at the end, I think what, uh, what comes to the fore oh, is no. the fact that this is a council that gathered bishops from across the globe. And mm -hmm. so we can see there at the end, right, it says places where priestly activity is in fact limited, right? Mm -hmm. Well, by what? Well, by, by governments, by, by the secular state, right? And uh, so it's, I think it's speaking of communism, uh, of, uh, you know, certain areas in, in Eastern Europe, so we, we can't forget that like this, you know, this is a uh, ecumenical council, ecumenical meaning, you know, uh, uh, universal communion, right? It's across mm -hmm. the globe. So we, ha we can't just read it through our own lens. We got to remember about the troubles of communism. Uh, and, you know, the life of St. John Paul II is a good testimony because he was part of these uh, groups of students that would put on plays and read poetry and, you know, the arts and uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the people in those groups were lay people and they were operating in secrets because they, you know, the state was oppressing uh, the mm -hmm. Catholic church in those communist countries. So that's a good example right there of some of the background maybe of, of this section. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, the, the Vatican, Second Vatican Council really starts to zoom in on this, whereas maybe times, in, you know, times past, there was a perception uh, incorrectly that, you know, there's sort of like a clericalism internally in people of like, if I'm not religious, mm -hmm. I might not be as effective. And this is sort of, a, you know, decisively saying, well, certainly not. And it's interesting to me um, that it comes on the heels of, you know, a saint like Jose Maria Escriva, whose whole work yeah. was about this, right, about making your work mm -hmm. your lay apostolate. Um and yeah. so then to hear this, you know, backed up by a council on the heels of a, of a man like that, I think mm -hmm. is really important, you know, and, and it, and it opens a new door. Cause I, I can just speak to this as, as someone who is not in religious life, right? I, I have a decisively secular job, um, for the most part, except for this YouTube stuff that I do on the side. But yeah. we've still been able to integrate in really like really interesting ways, integrate the gospel into every part of our, of our business. Yeah. Um, and bring those values to people. Like it always blows my mind when I'm talking to clients, for instance, about things that are distinctively Catholic values through the lens of like how they could pertain to my business dealings with them. And people are always like, wow, this is really amazing how you guys do business, the way that you think through things. And what I, mm -hmm. you know, what they maybe don't know all the time, unless I tell them is that that's like distinctive Catholic social teaching or like the gospel has just shaped how I interact with people. And to me, yeah. at least that's what this is beginning to call for is like, how can we, um, you know, I think we talked about this, Tom, on the on the meme review podcast, oddly enough. Secularism yeah. has this this idea that it wants to separate all the parts of your life and yeah. and and keep them in distinct little buckets. But this is the opposite, right? This is how can mm -hmm. you make sure every act as as a lay apostle is 
formed by and and has the gospel at the heart of it you know that's that's just kind of my thoughts no, off the cuff. Ab- absolutely i mean implicit uh in that paragraph is really a, a, a critique of secularism something that i think a lot of the council fathers sensed had been encroaching on the church and you know it wasn't just the pagan world outside of the church you might say but it was even encroaching within the church and fragmenting people's lives and you definitely see that here in this paragraph right uh what's that section it says something about compartmentalization um particularly fields that have been the most for the most part open to lady alone these Mm -hmm. factors have also occasioned new problems with demand which demand their expert attention and study that supposedly becomes more imperative in view of the fact that many areas of human life have become increasingly autonomous. That word there, autonomous, I wonder what it is in the Latin. I wish I had the Latin with me, but that is uh, associated with precisely the, uh, this idea that uh, the world, you know, the natural world uh, mm-hmm. has no relation to the supernatural end that we were created for. Now, this is a huge debate in theology, but uh, but if I keep it vague enough, then everyone on each side of the debate can actually agree with me here, which is that the world that God created, its end is the beatific vision, right? Its end is right. the cosmic liturgy, you know, in the body of Christ and in communion with the Trinity. And this idea that the the world is kind of self-enclosed and doesn't need the supernatural, which is right. more private, like, you know, religion is the private affair of individuals in an otherwise secular world. That is speaking of the autonomy of the secular. That's a bad kind of secularism that I will see in this document. Uh, you know, uh, the document will address how we have to re-sacralize the secular in a certain mm-hmm. sense and uh, and stop uh, secularizing the sacred, which I think is exactly what happened after the council, especially in the liturgy. There was this mm-hmm. this uh, uh, secularizing of the liturgy that, mm-hmm. you know, anyone. Anyway, so. That's interesting because like, I think a lot of people, well, you know, we've said this before, and no one should be surprised that we're saying this. A lot of people think that this council did that, right? But it's 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 ironic mm-hmm. historically. I don't maybe irony is not the proper word, but it's it's interesting that, yeah, like you just said, the opposite of the intentions is kind of what happened on the ground. Um, yep. I yep. remember when I ser- first started reading these documents, just coming into the church, I thought they were beautiful, and it's a big part of the reason I converted. But then, then once I actually was in the church, I was like wait, it's like no one has read them. Like, what's happening? Like, what is some of this yep. stuff I'm seeing, you know? So it's just it's just interesting, but... And I, I wonder, I wanted to ask you, like, was that a little demoralizing or a little... Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there was, there was so, there were so many moments, and I think this is a temptation for a lot of converts, where you've studied all of these beautiful, enriching, amazing ideas, and you've read all yeah. this stuff, and it's, you become infatuated with the idea of Catholicism, and you have this image of it in your head, And usually like if, you know, if you haven't been going to mass in your area at that point, which many people at some point, they're like, they're basically too far gone to not become Catholic, but they haven't started going to mass yet. So they don't know what the local parish is like. That was me. And uh, I've been watching masses online. And of course, the ones you're watching online are like gorgeous. And they're done according to the reform (laughs) as it it was supposed to be. And so you're like, yeah, that's beautiful, you know. Uh, And then, yeah, then I went to my local parish for the first time and it's gotten a lot better anyone from my parish who's likely <laughs> listening but there were some things where i was like i don't think we're supposed to do that and yeah. and as i've heard it actually used to be much worse so you know uh no absolutely anyways and that's the thing like you know because i i you know i i spent a lot of time talking to protestants and uh and also ex <laughs> what's called extrads i guess right but uh, yeah what's the especially when i talk to protestants right Oftentimes what they bring up as an obstacle is precisely 
what they hear both from the progressives and the traditionalists. And so I have right. to like actively counteract the propaganda on both sides and show them what does the council say? What does the church teach? Who are its representatives? You know, what are the documents? What, what do they, where do they come from? What's the context? And, you know, I referred them to great theologians mm -hmm. that are, you know, defenders of the council. And it's like, it can be exhausting. And I don't, you know, I, I, uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a criticism towards Catholics, I guess. Let's, let's try and, uh, you know, act better here and <laughs> shape right. up. Anyway, did you see the uh, the Laura Horn video about um, like live cats <laughs> and trads agreeing on everything? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> it was so good, so good. That was really good. Yeah, <laughs> she's great. Pretty accurate too. Like a lot of times, it's like, are you guys reading the same news source or something? It's, it's just it's ironic that you're agreeing. But yeah. um, anyway, right. should should we move on to the next little? I I say we do. Maybe I'll just read these two together and we can finish okay. out this first section here and see if we want to keep going on or have anything to reflect on here. Sounds great to me. An indication of this manifold and pressing need is the unmistakable work being done today by the Holy Spirit in making the laity ever more conscious of their own responsibility and encouraging them to serve Christ and the church in all circumstances. In this decree, the council seeks to describe the nature, character, and diversity of the lay apostolate, to state its basic principles, and to give pastoral directives for its more effective exercise. All these should be regarded as norms when the canon law, as it pertains to the lay apostolate, is revised. Excellent. First thing that strikes me is in the second paragraph. It, when it talks, it says, in this decree, the council seeks to describe, and it begins with nature, the nature, mm. you know, and then kind of specifies the character and diversity, how, you know, how it, it, it's found in different instantiations of the lay apostolate. And then it, then it says to state its basic principles, and then finally, and give pastoral directives for its more effective exercise. The point I'm making is that it begins with the question, and this might sound like, you know, overly technical, or maybe like I'm reading into the text, but I'm telling you, um, the, the, the people behind these texts were very aware of this stuff. But the point I'm making is that it begins with the question of being, and then it gets into the question of doing, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's okay. What is the, the character, the nature of the lay apostolate as opposed mm -hmm. to the priestly, you know, or the, the, uh, the bishopric and, and the papacy, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, these texts are deeply theological. And the point I'm making really is that what happened, I think, after the council and something that we can tend to do today that we have to avoid is to begin with doing and make doing our being. Hmm. You have to ask the question first, what does it mean to be a lay people, a, a lay person, like theologically? Like it means to be a part of the body. It's Eucharistic. It really is. Mm -hmm. And then if you understand, well, if it's part of being part of the body, it means being in a communion of love with others. And what flows from that is the logic, the ethic of love and of bringing others into communion, the mission of the lay person. Mm -hmm. So the being of the lay person is to be a part of the whole that is not an other part, right? An arm isn't a leg or a head or a heart. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's this competitive framework where it's like, well, the priest gets to do it. Why can't I do it? Well, because you're not an ear, you're an eye and you got an eye function. You got an eye being first and the function flows from your being. Anyway, the point I'm making really is that we got to make sure and take these documents, mm -hmm. you know, literally and read them closely 
and ask, what is my vocation? What is mm -hmm. my part in the body? And that informs then what I do. Anyway, I don't know right. if that makes sense, that rants, but. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, so like, like I mentioned at our parish, we our, uh, our priest did a homily series on certain sections of this. And the, the main question we got afterwards was like, how do you discern your vocation, right? And that becomes a big like practical stuff. Because I think a lot of times, you know, like you had mentioned, some people just get right to the doing. And you get those yeah. people that maybe were the ones who implemented or tried to implement this that are just like, okay, yeah, yeah, theology, let them have yeah. their heyday. They wrote the document, but we're going to do, you know, the tried yeah. and true sociological studies stuff that works and we'll just implement all that, right? Yeah. Um, whereas what, what this calls for and, and what you're saying is, yeah, those things have to be married, you know, the, uh, the mm -hmm. understanding and the theology of it is not meant to be separate and heady and in the sky, and not mm -hmm. practical, you know, our whole faith is incarnational. So insofar as there's a theology of something, it's not meant to just be left in the book. It's meant to be lived out, you know, in the same way yeah. that Jesus Christ became mm -hmm. flesh and walked among us. Well, all of these theological concepts can become flesh, so to speak as well. And, and I think that's the goal is that they don't just, you know, we don't just read them on channels like this and have people go, oh, that sounds cute, but like, that's not what it's like on the ground. Well, it's like, if we, right. if we actually, yeah, like you said, if we're a part of the body and we're attached to it and we, we're walking with the spirit, we're discerning and um, discerning vocations and then living them out, then this does be this does become actualized. And I think pretty naturally. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And yeah, basically what I got from the introduction is, all right, I think the lay people have forgotten what their role really is mm -hmm. and they're in the world. So uh, but they've kind of become of the world. Right. So let's remind you, first of all, mm -hmm. lay people, you are part of the body. You are part of Christ. You are a mission. You know, you are sent on a particular mission as a lay person. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to talk about what that is. But first, remember, lay people, you are Christians. You are, mm -hmm. you know, tied to the body of the Lord. You are in communion with the church. Your place is a, a indispensable part of the body of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means that your vocation, first and foremost, is that of love. And it's mm -hmm. Eucharistic. It's centered on the liturgy. And last thing I want to say uh, is... One thing that Pope Benedict mentioned about uh, the council is that it begins with the document, which is the constitution on the liturgy. Then it gets into the document, which is on the word of God, mm -hmm. and then on the uh, nature of and mission of the church. And finally, into all these decrees. The point being is that it begins with something that isn't in a certain sense like uh, functional and, and, and practical in terms of use and utility. It begins mm -hmm. with the worship of God, which mm -hmm. is about our right being in, you know, in relationship to God. Mm -hmm. And then it gets into the ethical consequences of social justice. But mm -hmm. it begins with proper being and then flows into proper action. And mm -hmm. I think that's really essential. And I think that's what the document is doing here as well. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Well, I think another important thing about that is in the way that the documents are laid out, and the way that, that, you know, even that that is theological and what you said, we're starting with first things first. We're starting with the liturgy and, the, and mm -hmm. the life of the church. And then we're going into how the lay people take that into the world. Yes. You, you set everything aright. And I think one temptation that a lot of a lot of us Catholics have given into, and it, we kind of, I don't know if this is directly where we got it from or if it's just a cultural force, but it seems to be the same mm -hmm. temptation a lot of Protestant denominations have, have fallen prey to is... Um, Two, well, I guess it's twofold. One is that our priests are the professional Christians. So if we want someone to convert, we just got to bring them to the priest and the priest does all the work from there, right? Whereas yeah. what we'll see in this, 
And really what you see in the scriptures, like, you know, I think this yeah. eventually references Ephesians 4, where this is laid out very clearly, is the, the job of, of the church, so to speak, and the job of the religious, the job of the liturgy, is to activate us to such a degree that we go do the work of reconciliation in the world. Like this says, there's places that we alone as lay people yeah. get to go that like if a priest walked into, they'd be like, what are you, what are you doing here? Or, exactly. you know, either by it being weird or it being like actually illegal or whatever it is, there yeah. are places that just by virtue, like of being lady, we're going to be able to reach and it's our, it's our duty to reach. And mm -hmm. so when you have the liturgy, not as this thing that we do, um, and bring people to, and then that does the work of evangelization. No, it's, it's almost the opposite, right? The liturgy is the source and summit of our Christian yeah. life from which we, we're empowered to go outward on mission like Jesus, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think back, I, rem I remember the first time I learned that like in the earliest church, there were, there were instances where they didn't let people, um, basically watch the liturgy of the Eucharist unless they were fully initiated, you know? So yeah, all your catechumens mm -hmm. would have left after the liturgy of the word. And in some cases in RCIA, they'll actually still kind of do that. Uh, I've known mm -hmm. a few parishes to do that. It makes sense, right? Because if the, you know, the whole goal of the liturgy is to encounter Christ really in this way and be unified with him. And then, and then what mm -hmm. do we say at the end? Go therefore and, yeah. you know, preach the gospel. Um, yep. Yep. It like resets the order. So. Yeah, um, no, I totally agree with you. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, I say we continue. Yeah, let's Chapter keep going. One. Chapter one, the vocation of the laity to the apostolate. The church was founded for the purpose of spreading the kingdom of Christ throughout the earth for the glory of God, the father to enable all men to share in his saving redemption. And that through them, the whole world might enter into a relationship with Christ. All activity of the mystical body directed to the attainment of this goal is called the apostolate which the church carries on in various ways through all her members. For the Christian vocation by its very nature is also a vocation to the apostolate. No part of the structure of a living body is merely passive, but has a share in the functions as well as the life of the body. So too, in the body of Christ, which is the church, the whole body, in keeping with the proper activity of each part, derives its increase from its own internal development. Oh, there's Ephesians 4. I should have there waited to say all that till I read this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yep, Ephesians 4, you know, where Paul speaks precisely. I mean, it basically says what the council is saying right here, right? Mm -hmm. And I notice at the end, right, in keeping with the proper activity of each part. So I think what, what kind of really comes through this document is this, this understanding of participation. Mm -hmm. And even in the word, right, participation, right? Um, it's, it's, it's not a competitive framework, mm -hmm. right? Competition where, why don't I get to be a priest? Why don't I get to, you know, legislate canon law or something, mm -hmm. right? It's no, because, uh, you participate in the mission of the church precisely as one part and not the other. You can't actually have harmony and participation if there's, if, if everything is competitive and mm -hmm. we're all, you know, we see things in purely functional ways. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think that the document really oozes this I, this this sense of participation and the mm -hmm. harmony of the body that we see in Ephesians, really. Right. Um, and yeah. also, as a side note, totally unrelated to any Protestant who accuses the Catholic Church of not having a focus on relationship with Jesus, this line yeah. I've highlighted, that the whole world might enter into a relationship. <laughs> Sorry, I just yeah. the former no. <laughs> Protestant that hears all those accusations are like, well, we want a relationship, not a religion. It's yep. like, well... 
<laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Um, sorry, I, I had to. Um, no, I, I, trust me, I'm probably going to do that with grads, <laughs> and you can do that with. Well, I do that with progressives too, but yeah, so, you know, <laughs> this is good. It's, that's why I'm glad I have a convert doing this with me. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is, is as we were talking to, and you said each each person playing their part and not that of another. That does yeah. kind of speak to the desire of some of like, well, why can't we have women priests? It's like, exactly. well, right here we're saying. If, if we like theoretically, and that's an, obviously it's impossible, but theoretically, yeah. if we did, then that would be keeping those people from doing the thing that they can do alone. Exactly. And, and we're missing that. So like, if, if it's just this, you know, sort of false equity where everyone can fill every type of role just because they want to, well, whatever you're particularly called to either by, by virtue of, you know, your, your constitution is a male or female, you know, certain things are off the table for you. But even just by virtue of your personality and the unique way God's made you, there are certain things that, you know, for instance, you and I are going to be better at maybe talking about theology and thinking about these things. And some people are not that way at all, but they're better at maybe just encountering the low, you know, the lowliest of the low. Like there's certain people who really have a way of of dealing with and and communicating with and ministering to the poor that I don't have the same ability to do. Um the capacity to do right. And so yeah, if yeah. they were trying to be the online internet theologians, then <laughs> no one would be doing the thing that they alone can do and, and vice versa. Right. Right. No, yeah, I think you're <clears throat> spot on. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll link in the show notes, a, uh, a, a very pithy and, and concise uh, addressing of this topic of women priests by Christopher West. Uh, I thought it was a very helpful video that I've shared with a lot of people who had that question about women priests and every time i sent that video to them they responded like wow that was uh that answered my question thoroughly mm -hmm. so i'll link that in the show notes as well um but uh, and last thing about that that paragraph i really it's such a beautiful paragraph because mm -hmm. it has this this cosmic you know uh missionary attitude of mm -hmm. uh incorporating the whole world into the body of christ mm -hmm. so i mean this i mean this is connected to eschatology <clears throat> to ecclesiology to uh so it's so theology everything it's 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 very uh what i love about the conciliar texts is that they all kind of fit together in a way that mutually informs each text mm -hmm. anyway the point being is that it's it's very eucharistic because it's mm -hmm. about bringing the world into communion with christ mm -hmm. and that's how dei verbum opens up the very purpose of revelation of the word of god is mm -hmm. to become flesh in order to bring about a communion in the in the world in creation mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and so that's very Eucharistic. Mm. Anyway, for sure. But, yeah, let's uh, let's continue. <laughs> okay, I'll probably read same thing. Read a couple chunks here. Okay, sounds good. Indeed, the organic union in this body and the structure of the members are so compact that the member who fails to make his proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to the church nor himself. I just want to take a moment. That's like a mic drop yeah. moment. Right there. <laughs> You're not useful to the yeah. church or yourself. It's very Pauline too. That's yeah. beautiful. I yeah. remember when yeah. I first read this line, I was just like, that is a dig. Like if someone reads this, if you're failing yeah. to make your proper contribution, you're neither useful to the church nor yourself. That's yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Excellent. in the church, there is a diversity of ministry, but a oneness of mission. Christ conferred on the apostles and their successors, the duty of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling in his name and power. But the laity likewise share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office of Christ, and therefore have their own share in the mission of the whole people of God in the church and in the world. 
Excellent. The first question that comes up for me is how, see, if I were teaching a class here, I'd be like, okay, how do the laity share? Like, what is the cause of the laity's share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office? Mm. And the answer, obviously, is baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Which the council says elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But I think this is another, <laughs> I keep bringing this up, but it says share, right? And I'm pretty sure Latin would probably be something connected to the idea of participation again. Participation is only possible when you have, you know, different levels, mm -hmm. uh, different structures, you know. Uh, there's a horizontal structure that makes participation possible. If everything's egalitarian and like, uh, sorry, I meant vertical structure, but if everything is egalitarian and horizontal, then it's no longer participation and sharing, but it's competition and merely function. And there's right. no difference between a ministerial <clears throat> priest and a lay priest because of his baptism. And I think that did happen after the council, but anyway. Right. Yeah. You do sort of see that like, Oh, well, because we're baptized, we know we can start doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Um, yeah. what's the footnote there, Dom, that, that it has, you said you have, those yeah, let up. me check, uh, t -t 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 where are we? Uh, we already got ahead quite a bit. Uh, chapter one, chapter one, third paragraph in the church, two. there's a diversity of ministry. Yep. Footnote. Oh, right at the it? end the mission of the whole people of God, the church and in the world, at least on my end, it shows a footnote there. Uh, yeah, wait, uh, prophetic and royal office. Uh, sorry, this is strange. I don't see anything. Oh, that's okay. Maybe there's a, it could, it could also be a glitch of having done this with the reader mode. I don't know. Um, no, no. Oh, I, I found gonna, it. Oh, you got I found it. it. Church and in the world, their own assignment in the mission of the people of God. Oh, it's a, it's a reference to, um, De Ecclesia, which I think is a draft for Lumen Gentium. Oh, Okay. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, well, that would that would be yeah sensible to point there. I was gonna make one comment too of what you said about you know if we had a a horizontal only sort of like um, egalitarian ideal of like everyone has to be the same. It it you know like you said it creates competition and it and it stunts people from being what they actually are designed yes. to be in a lot of ways. I think of the uh, I think it's a Kurt Vonnegut short story called Harrison Bergeron. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. <laughs> it's really a great short story. I remember reading it in English um, okay. in high school, the public high school. I'm sure the same conclusion would not, maybe not be allowed today. But my conclusion was, oh, man, this is why communism must suck. Because the whole point of the story is that in order to make everyone equal, they yeah. give people various handicaps based on where their particular physical skills are above the mean. So if you have really good eyesight, for wow. instance, you have to wear glasses that take your eyesight back a notch. And if you're really short, you wear stilts. And if you're really tall, they kind of chop you down a little bit. Um, <laughs> if you're fast, you have to wear weights all the time, you know, yeah. to make it to where everyone's the same. And, right. and the whole point being exactly that, yeah, it, it actually makes it to where people can't flourish. They're not allowed to become what they are. But in another way, it, it destroys the beauty of human relationships in which someone who is, you know, tall can help a short mm -hmm. guy like me reach something on a top shelf. You know, yeah. like we, we don't have the ability to serve one another. And that's really ultimately what our giftings are for is for the service of others. And if if we have to put people um, in this camp where they all have to be the same, well, yeah. then we can't serve any particular need that we're not suited to because we're all we're all the same. Right. Whereas if you have a diversity, like a proper diversity in all these different ways, then we actually get mm -hmm. to bless people with them. You know, the person who can who can read theology and think through it and make it practical can help teach other people. The person who has these, you know. 
um, gifts for serving the community they live in in various ways. They can do that. And we all benefit from people walking into their vocations. Um, anyways, Amen. that's, that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking about. Cause it's like in the same way that like in a marriage, right? Like there are things that I'm yep. good at that my wife always says, you do that because it'll go well. <laughs> and then vice versa. There are things that I'm not to be trusted with, like balancing the budget finances, anything with numbers, like that's her. <laughs> Cause otherwise the IRS is going to audit us. Right. And, you know, and so we just, we just, that's how we get to serve each other in our marriage. It's the same way in the body of Christ, you know? No, um, absolutely. And I think that's kind of, uh, uh, sometimes people reduce in the church authority to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Very Marxist. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a secularizing of the church uh, and a politicizing of the church, but the, really the authority is meant to serve, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of the difference between the uh, law and grace in a certain sense, but mm-hmm. in a proper sense where law points to the uh, ultimate law, which is the law of love. And so think of it this way, like a father who's disciplining his son because the son is a rebel. Well, he has to put curfews. And at first, the curfews mm-hmm. are meant to reel in the, the kid. But, you know, he doesn't do them because he wants to obey his father. He doesn't because he's afraid of getting his PlayStation taken from him. Mm-hmm. Right. But ultimately, the goal right, of the authority of the father is for the son to actually internalize the, the law of the father and mm-hmm. want to do it out of love for the father and grow himself into a man, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of times we see authority in terms of power. I also think it's kind of a uh, a kind of shallow element of some forms of feminism, which mm-hmm. uh, ultimately see everything in, in terms of competition. And so if a woman is to be equal, she has to have the same, uh, you know, kind of characteristics as a man, which mm-hmm. then goes into justifying abortion because women have a detriment here, which is that they get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it's very actually anti-child, this whole competitive framework. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's another tangent. But the point being is, yes, the church here is calling for participation, mm-hmm. for authority to be an authority of service, and for lay people to understand the nature of their vocation and how it's actually a part and not you know, uh, a competition with other parts of the body. And that will inform how mm-hmm. we are to be holy in the modern world, really, which is, I think, the point of this document. Mm-hmm. But um I say we continue unless continue you continue on. Uh, maybe one last quick point, and then I'll just start reading. Yeah, I was going to say go one interesting thing when you think about what it says here at the end with the apostles and their successors, the duties of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling. Yeah. And that's straight out of Ephesians 4 as well, by the way. Um, it says, uh-huh. He gave us the teachers, prophets, and apostles for the sake of building up the basically the saints to do the work of ministry, which is like yeah. it says here to have our mission, share in the mission of the whole people of God and the church and the world. The, the the structure of the church has the duty of focusing on and caring for the church itself so that it does what it needs to. So the lady get empowered to go, go evangelize, right. Go on mission. And, and like, if you think about like, yeah. it's kind of like managers, right? Like in a perfect world, your managers are there to manage the structure of the business itself. And then the mm-hmm. people that are doing the work can focus on doing that properly. They're not getting caught up. I mean, frankly, like in, a, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be getting ca- caught up in church politics necessarily. It's going to happen because yeah. humans are human, but they focus on that and give us what we need from that so that we can focus on the thing that they can't do. And if, again, if we're, if we're all focused on trying to be a better Pope than the Pope, then we're kind of losing focus of the thing yeah. in front of us. And God's maybe going, what? There's a thing here that I need you to do. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, no, I, likewise, it goes the other way. So that that's excellent. I mean, I, I'm reminded of uh, uh, Hans Rosenbaum Balthazar talks about the Petrine 
uh, uh, structure of the church and the Marian uh, dynamism of the church. But he also mm. talks about the Johannine dimension of the church, the Pauline dimension of the church, the, mm. you know, uh, all, all these different elements to the church is really represented in the New Testament. But what you said made me think of the difference between Mary and Martha. You know, mm. you have the Marys of the church and you have the Marthas of the church, uh, but also, you know, uh, the Petrine structure. And what's cool is that th this paragraph here is actually uh, directly tied to Lumen Gentium because mm -hmm. the, those three qualifiers here, the sanctific, uh, where is it? Uh, sanctifying, teaching, sanctifying, and ruling are the three munera of the bishop. And uh, uh, this is actually precisely what Lumen Gentium talks about, mm -hmm. which is that um, it's actually, this was disputed theologically and uh, that uh, people were wondering whether um, the fullness of the priesthood was in fact at the level of the priest, the deacon participates in the priesthood and the priest is the fullness of the priesthood because of his ministerial role in terms of the Eucharist. But the bishopric, uh, the episcopacy is merely an additional administrative and juridical element of the priesthood. But the fullness is basically the priest. But Lumen Gentium settles this dispute and says that the fullness of the priesthood is the episcopacy mm -hmm. and that it's not merely an additional uh, administrative role, but actually the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. Mm -hmm. And that when a bishop <clears throat> is ordained, he in fact receives these three munera, these three gifts of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling. But he mm -hmm. can only uh, wield them lawfully, licitly, when in hierarchical communion with the Bishop of Rome. Mm -hmm. So it's so cool how this little section here on the mission of the lady and the very nature and character of the lady is tied into the doctrine on the episcopacy that the council settled mm -hmm. definitively, might I add. People say that the council didn't teach anything, you know, definitively. It was infallibly taught what mm -hmm. I'm talking about in mm -hmm. Lumen Gentium. So you want to talk about infall infallible things that are defined by the council that weren't defined prior? Well, there mm -hmm. you go. So that's mm -hmm. a tangent again, and I'm done. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, when, when you were talking about that, I was I was highlighting ruling because I'm like, certainly that must settle with the bishopric being the fullness of it because ruling, right? You know, mm -hmm. I think of Ignatius of Antioch, um, wherefore is your bishop there unto you is Jesus Christ. Like that's that yeah. was a strong statement in the early, yeah. like like first or second century, uh -huh. right? And so, yeah, I was like, yeah, it, it had to have gone that way, but yeah, yeah it's mm -hmm. great. It's great. No. Okay, I'll keep reading. Good. Um, and now it's, it's talking about the, all the people, kind of where we left off. Um, they exercise the apostolate, uh, in fact, by their activity, directed to the evangelization and sanctification of men and to the penetrating and perfecting of the temporal order through the spirit of the gospel. In this way, their temporal activity openly bears witness to Christ and promotes the salvation of men. Since the laity, in accordance with their state in life, live in the midst of the world and its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. I love that paragraph. That's beautiful, especially <clears throat> the last part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is good because it, it there's this there's this dilemma in Protestantism um, mm -hmm. that was always so dumb to me, and I apologize for anyone that's like in the midst of this. It just to me it always seems so stupid, but it was. There was this huge blow up in Protestant communions at the turn of the 20th century over oh. the fundamentalists and the liberals. And oh. they, the fundamentalists just wanted to do this. They just wanted to evangelize and sanctify men. Mm -hmm. And the liberals just wanted to perfect the temporal order with the spirit of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, and so you see like in, in Protestantism, this war of what eventually becomes evangelicalism kind of doing a little bit of both, but still being like, it's we just need yeah. to teach them the gospel. Don't worry about giving them bread. 
And then the liberals were like, who knows about the gospel? Like Christ might not have even <laughs> resurrected, but we can give them bread. Yeah. And to me, like it, like they would literally do it at one at the expense of the other. But what I loved mm-hmm. about Catholicism is that there was no dispute that, that one and the other go hand in hand. And in this case, especially for the laity that, that, I mean, first off, if you don't give them bread, they're not going to listen to your sermon on the gospel. But second, mm-hmm. that it's, the, it's one in the same activity and you, and you properly can't separate it. And if you do, then that's, a, you know, it's like, it's just an error um, to, to even think that they could be separate. So this is, that's Dude, one of my favorite parts as a former Protestant, that, I guess. That's phenomenal. No, that's absolutely, because you definitely see that, right? We, going back to what we read in the beginning of the introduction, this autonomy, right? This, uh, mm-hmm. fra- this uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This kind of uh, fragmentation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting to me how, again, this is, you know, a larger conversation, but how the Reformation through its split, right? And the kind of disintegration of Christendom into mm-hmm denominational or confessional states or, you know, uh, Christianity as a, a religion that is, you know, uh, a, a something about propositions about the afterlife, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really divorced from the temporal order mm-hmm. and you have these splits here. And so then it becomes, well, is it about what I believe in my private sphere or mm-hmm. what I do in the public sphere? And then you get this divide and the church is saying, right. no, Right, where we want to keep all things uh, held together in in mm-hmm. a in a communion, right, in a in a unity, mm-hmm. which is that it's actually precisely orthodoxy that leads to orthopraxy, mm-hmm. right, and both of them are described as um, doxology, really, which is mm-hmm. the term that means giving glory, the glory of God, right, doxology, but it's it's meant to be an act of worship that overflows into our active lives mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you look at the New Testament, man, it's like, it's it's interesting because in the New Testament, it's not like you had the Eucharist on Sunday and then you're like secular work on during the week. For right. the early Christians, the Eucharist was lived uh, in, in a way that it's existential. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you read the description of the martyrdom of, uh, I think it's Polycarp, what's fascinating is that the way it's described, his you know his his body is ground, his bones are broken, but it's mm-hmm. it's described like the grounding of wheat, and then it and it talks about his blood being spilt and spattering, and but it's being described like the the spilling of of wine from a chalice. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you realize that this man didn't just have the Eucharist on Sunday and then apply Christian charity during the week. No, mm-hmm. his week was Eucharistic. His mm-hmm. life was Eucharistic. Yeah. Every instant of his life was Eucharistic. Sunday spilled out into every day of the week. And that's that's beautiful to me. But anyway, uh, you're absolutely right to see that dichotomy. And the council really is trying to bring these things back, kind of mm-hmm. re reunify all these uh, autonomous fragmentations. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh, man, what you said was so great. And, and, and just think about this, like personally, nobody wants a life that's subdivided ad infinity yeah. right where you mm-hmm. you you're this way with these people and that way i mean you're double-minded just by that very essence of thinking that life is that way yeah uh, and, and i think that oh it's it's yeah it's it's prolific um but it all it also you know to, to the people who are like I, well how do i want to order this thought i think that in a sense and in many ways i think this is true the protestant effect eventually mm-hmm. becomes secularized uh, yes well, since we have all these different branches, 
You know, we yeah. can all agree as these different branches and you know, different denominations that we should give the homeless people bread. And then yeah. we'll focus on which denomination to bring them into, right? Well, then, yeah. then once you have secularism that says kingdom without the king, now it's like, forget the denominational part altogether. Yeah. But like, let's just think about why that doesn't work. Because we live in, in, you know, those of us who live in the West, for instance, mm-hmm. have, you could say, a very good, maybe not a perfect, but a very good, very livable, very comfortable temporal order, you know, especially yeah. when compared to other countries, even today and maybe throughout history. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's very, there, there's probably, I don't want to say there's like not any poverty because there is poverty, but right. comparatively it's very different than it was like in the middle ages. And so the mm-hmm. temporal order is like as good as it's ever been, but look at the rates of depression. Look at the, the lack of meaning in people's lives. Look at, yeah. so you can do all the stuff on the surface that seems to perfect the temple temporal order. But if it, if it's not, you know, like we said, if it's not unified to this, to this higher purpose to, you know, to really to Christ. Yeah. It's going to fall short because then once you give the man bread and his stomach is full, he's now he's going to have the existential crisis of like, what's all this for? <laughs> You know, and so, yeah, one can't be removed from the other. I guess that was uh, just another way of saying the same thing we've been saying. So, no, I think uh, uh, that's excellent. An- uh, another thing that this brings to mind, and I, I actually I don't know about you, but I'm OK with these long tangents. I think it's appropriate. Yeah, it's that, good. You know? <laughs> but uh, one thing that comes to mind is the question that you see sometimes is this is a generalization. So bear with me, whoever's listening. But sometimes on the right, you have these concerns about life. So questions about uh, the nature of marriage and the nature of, uh, of life itself, you know, abortion and stuff like that, you know, um, uh, in vitro fertilization and uh, um, uh, what's it called when they exterminate uh, older people. Oh um, yeah. Um, that's on the tip of my tongue. Euthanasia. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the point being is that the, usually you see this more on the conservative side, right? Mm-hmm. Abortion, uh, you know, um, letting older people go so to put it in a very uh patronizing way and mm-hmm. uh the nature of marriage and then mm-hmm. on the on the other side on the more left side the more progressive side you have these environmental concerns about our relationship to nature and uh, the ecosystem mm-hmm. and uh the ozone layer and things like that and just the way we treat nature and what's interesting is that i mean we i think we agree you know in general that we shouldn't mistreat nature and that we shouldn't mm-hmm. mistreat human life. Mm-hmm. So both of those things in principle are like obviously good. Mm-hmm. But why is there this divide and how do we reunite them? How, do we focus on one? Do we focus on the other? Do we focus on both? And what I find beautiful is Pope Benedict's answer is he said, <laughs> we need an ecology of the human person. Mm. And what he meant by that is all of these layers can be united if we first tor- turn towards the liturgical crisis. And at face value, like, wait, what? I thought it was, this was about this was about like social justice, mm-hmm. about taking care of human life or or of nature. And you're talking about liturgy. How 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 is that a solution to the problem? Well, and he explains. He says, why do we care about human life and human dignity, mm-hmm. and why do we care about nature and creation? What is the principle that undergirds our very concern for these things? And he explains, it's a creator God. Mm-hmm. who is owed our worship so if we don't have the principal rights fragmentation is the beginning of chaos it's right. a sign that we are kind of working off of the the fumes of, of a, what used to be a christian foundation right. so if we actually go back to the principle which is in the liturgy 
right being, right relation with God and right mm-hmm. worship to God, then we reground the principle necessary, not just for dignity of life and the way we treat nature, but for their proper integration in the unified mm-hmm. principle of our relation to the creator God. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. That's what the kind of thing the council is doing before and after the council, I would argue is precisely we're seeing kind of in a cultural uh, sense, these bifurcations and the, the John Paul II said mm-hmm. the, the ultimate hermeneutic of the second Vatican council can be summarized in a single word, communio, mm-hmm. communion, unity, you know, wholeness, mm-hmm. or what Balthazar called the gestalt, the form of Christ mm-hmm. and, and the glory of the church, uh, the splendor of the church. But I'm on a long rant. Sorry about that, Drew. Let's get back to the. Oh, no, that's good. I'm going to continue <laughs> it because I, I, you brought up so many thoughts for me. Like, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, all, like you said, all these competing interests, the only place they find their proper balance is in, is in the church. I mean, like you just said, it's ultimately in communion with God, with, with the first yeah. principle set in the proper place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they hold each other in, in the wrong kind of tension, right? Like, just to bring up that example, you know, the, the people that are more politically on the right are thinking through, um, they, they want, like you said, life and marriage and the, the things where government just kind of has to be involved to get it right. They want to get that correct. I'm realizing my mic is still kind of in frame here. Um, <laughs> but they don't, they also don't want the government to become tyrannical. So, like, get your hands off the environment, get your hands off business, because we know what happens when it goes there. And frankly, you know, mm-hmm. fair point. But then on the other side, the left, especially the more secular it gets, they kind of don't have a religion. And so those things with which religion and faith set the first principles, they have to do through, you know, the state. Um, yeah. And then that leads to all sorts of competing tensions in terms of like, if you, if you prefer, if you, if, if you make these things compete, you're going to prefer one over the other. And if you prefer, for instance, environmentalism over life, then yeah, you'll do crazy things there as, you know, as we see. Um, and, and when you set the tensions properly, like you're, like you've been saying, all of that gets resolved. You know, I, I had a conversation on my channel, um, with, uh, Dr. Brian England. He was a professor of Catholic business at a, at a mm. Catholic college. I forget which college, but he, he has a book on this, uh, called The Force for Good, which is really good if you're in, if you're in business or just even just working in the world to go read. But he, he has this example he brings up and I, and I've never forgot it where he was working for a firm and was doing some consulting for them. And essentially, they were, you know, a factory. So they had EPA uh, oversight in terms of how, you know, their um, emissions had to be regulated. And mm-hmm. the EPA passed a rule that basically put a cap on, on I forget what it was specifically, but put a cap on a certain type of emission that they had a lot of. And what this in effect did is made it to where they just shut down all their factories and then moved them overseas to where someone didn't have as strict of rules. And so it was one of those things where he brought up, since they didn't have a, um, an ecology of the person, like you said, they didn't have, yeah. and they didn't have a human focus, they just had this rough metric of, you know, carbon output bad, shut it down in the US, it's someone else's problem. Well, it actually didn't change anything, right? Cause it, it, it just is the yeah. same carbon output now in Brazil or wherever it was. But what yeah. it did do is make it to where a company had to shut down the lives of hundreds of factory workers. And so the, the human impact was, was devastating. Right. Um, and so, and he had kind of mentioned like there would have been all sorts of potential solutions where they could have had, um, had an effect on that, that would have been, you know, better for the environment properly without Mm. all the damage to, to the human beings who had, you know, just overnight lost their jobs. And, and you see all sorts of stuff like this, right? Like just to kind of stay on the ecological framework, one thing that I often think of is like due to shipping subsidies, it's cheaper to buy a cup from China and have it mm. shipped here than it would be to buy it from some guy down the street. Yeah. Um, 
and and like the shipping, like the actual cost of shipping something from China to the U.S. is is enormous. But we've subsidized it towards you know, so you can see where if that concern plays a bigger role, or one concern over the other plays a bigger role, it doesn't have its proper place. It starts damaging the other potential principles, and so. I, I don't know. That's totally a rant as well. But the, yeah, as far as a temporal no. activity goes, if it's yeah. not centered in the church, if it's not centered in Christ, then it's gonna go, it's gonna go astray somewhere. Um, I guess is and that I, short part, short version. No, I agree. And I, this is what's great is that precisely this is what Catholic lay people can start considering right. the things that you're talking about, right? Like if you're if you're a businessman and you're Catholic. Maybe read Apostolica uh, Actuositatem, although you probably won't call it that. Um, and, uh, you know, and think about it, meditate on it. Like you could, you know, bring this to your prayers. Like, okay, what does the church want me to do? Right. And then try to implement as much as you can in your life. But of course, be grounded in the Eucharist, in the liturgy, mm. in the mass. Mm. Right. And I think this is very applicable, right, uh, to, yeah. to the lay people. So excellent. Uh, I say we continue. Yeah, let's go. All right. Paragraph three or section, whatever. These are paragraph numbers, right? Is that what this is? I'm guessing uh, for like reference. Just like, I think they call them paragraphs, but it's section. Right. It is a it's, section. It's more than the paragraph. Paragraphs. But yeah. yeah, I think they call them paragraphs. Yeah. yeah. So the lady derive the right and duty to the apostolate from their union with Christ the head, incorporated into Christ's mystical body through baptism and strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit through confirmation. They are assigned to the apostolate by the Lord himself. They're consecrated for the royal priesthood and the holy and the holy people, not only that they may offer spiritual sacrifices in everything they do, but also that they may witness to Christ throughout the world. The sacraments, however, especially the most holy Eucharist, communicate and nourish that charity which is the soul of the entire apostolate. Mic drop. That's so beautiful. Let's talk about that. Mm. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the, real quick, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, if you guys want to, uh, unpack that little paragraph right there from the laity derive the right and duty all the way to soul of the entire apostolate, uh, I would argue, you know, I would tell people who are watching this video or who will watch it. This is a good place to stop. This is a good place to pause or to, uh, copy that little paragraph and, uh, and read it again several times after. And if you want a beautiful commentary on it. Uh, pope benedict the 16th uh again before he was pope writes about this in his uh, writings on the liturgy and his writings on i mean he writes about it everywhere really but he, really he he's trying to say that this is kind of the point i was making earlier about polycarp's martyrdom being eucharistic right mm -hmm. in this paragraph you see how the logic of the eucharist becomes the ethic of the life of the person yeah. Right. So th this is something that uh, Dr. Roland Millar actually talks about in his, his book uh, on the theology of, of uh, Joseph Ratzinger. It's called Liturgy and Eschatology in Joseph Ratzinger. And he talks about this. This is something Ratzinger got from Guardini, which is that logos precedes ethos. Mm -hmm. the, the, and what is the logos here? The logos is the, 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 the fact that Christ in his very being is from the Father for men. And what he, what he means by that is that Christ obviously proceeds from the Father, but also in his incarnation, he is completely dedicated to being for our salvation. Mm. And that's what the creed says, right? For the mm -hmm. sake of our salvation, he became, you know, he was born of a virgin. And and the point being is that the, the logos is love mm -hmm. and the ethic is the living of that love. 
And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like the, the mission follows from the communion. And here, this paragraph, I mean, it's so rich. <laughs> you have to read Pope Benedict on this. And uh, But let me, let me reread it, if you don't mind, because there's yeah, like yeah. sections here. The lady derived the right and duty to the apostolate from their union, bingo, right there, with Christ, the head, incorporated into Christ's mystical body. I mean, that's ecclesial and Eucharistic language. Mm-hmm. And the heart of both of that, both of those things is the liturgy, right? Through baptism. The baptism is the doorway to all the sacraments, as St. Thomas says. And strengthened by the power of the Spirit, which is the communion between Father and Son, right? Through confirmation, Mm-hmm. They are assigned to the apostolate by the Lord himself. He sends us on mission after mass, right? Ite misa est, you know, go forth, be mm-hmm. sent. They are consecrated for the royal priesthood and the holy people. And here it refers to what St. Peter says in First Peter. Mm-hmm. Not only that they may offer spiritual sacrifices. So this is from Romans. Paul talks about this. He says, make your bodies a living sacrifice. And then it says here, in everything they do, but also that they may witness to Christ throughout the world. The preaching of the gospel, you know, the witnessing of Christ. The sacraments, however, especially the Most Holy Eucharist, communicates communion, right? And nourish that love, that charity, which is the soul of the entire apostolate, the being of all of the doing. Mm. That's just awesome. Anyway, take it away. Sorry. Oh, dude, no. All I can think whenever I start reading Vatican II documents is whoever wrote (laughs) this was channeling the early church so well. Like it just reads like the fathers. And I, I often say that people hear me say that all the time, but like, seriously, and and that was the goal. If I'm, if if I'm correct, right? Like they want it, you know, but if you go read the church fathers, yeah, if you go read them and just the way they talk and the way that, you know, thought, you know, begets thought and it just works out naturally. And then you have this all at once, like logically consistent, but, but almost just like the most beautiful po- prose or, or even, you know, approaching a form of poetry in a way that you've ever read. And mm-hmm. it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's really, really rich. And you can, um, really you can meditate on these documents yeah. for hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the way, and, and you know, uh, the catechism, the new catechism is written in a similar way. And I really like it for that reason. That's not a related so thought, true. but it's so good. I think um, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about the catechism. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, that's better. I, I mean, there's a place for the, you know, the old school, like question and answer format, you know, like the Baltimore catechism, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's certainly not as like, <laughs> it's not as aesthetic to just dwell on, <laughs> right. you know, question, no, answer, yeah. like no one's, but this, you can just, I mean, it just goes deeper and deeper. The more you think about mm-hmm. it. And wh- one yeah. thing I've noticed is, and I guess this is sort of a meta conversation about the council documents. As you and I have been talking, the end of our tangents on, on one paragraph usually begin to lead us into the next paragraph in terms of our conversation uh before we've read it. Like even when you were reading this one, I was like, Oh, we were just talking about that. And I've said that to myself (laughs) so many times in this conversation, but just think about how, how well crafted something must be that if you're really entering into it and dwelling on it and, and chewing through it, that it Mm -hmm. can start to form your conscious in a way that your next immediate thought is almost predicting the paragraph that comes after. Right. At yeah. least that's what we've—that's what I've been experiencing in this conversation. No, I totally so. agree. And can I add to that because yeah. um, what I've noticed is, you know, uh, someone like Pope Benedict. I keep bringing him up because look, that's just the guy I read and study. So people don't like that. Sorry. You're but like a walking keep... Benedict encyclopedia. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just, you know, he's, he's. Uh, I think he's an incredible theologian. I think he is almost definitely going to be a doctor of the church. But hmm. what's interesting is that. Benedict is sometimes kind of brought down to a level he doesn't belong on, 
What I mean by that is that he's brought down onto the political level and he will be weaponized. You know, quotes will be taken from his writings, out of his writings by the traditionalists as well as the progressives. And Hmm. what he says will be weaponized to make a political point, an ecclesial political point. But what what I'm realizing is now that I've been reading, you know, trying to read all of his works and see his vision, his theological vision, I'm realizing that this man is a deeply faithful council man and that his theology is an explication a development a deepening and an application of the second vatican council ratzinger his ratzingerian theology is vatican II theology and so when he's declared doctor of the church he's going to be kind of like how bellarmine or de sales were kind of tridentine doctors maximus is a chalcedonian doctor you know um you know, uh, St. Thomas is kind of uh, 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 the council of uh, what was that one uh, before him? The L- Lateran Council, mm-hmm. uh, you know, transubstantiation, I think, was defined there, even though he talked about it after he took that up. The point I'm making is that usually councils are followed by great explainers, right? Mm-hmm. Great, um, uh, you know, they, they, they explain it, they teach it, they, they uh, deepen it and mm-hmm. they apply it. And I think Benedict is going to be such a, a person. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of me saying this is because I have certain people in mind, is that um, if you want to understand the Second Vatican Council on whatever divide you find yourself, mm-hmm. you want to find a faithful, profound explication of the council, the theology of Joseph Ratzinger is the place to go. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> man, yeah, just the force of that man's life, you know. It's oh, stunning. it's so good. Yeah. It's what, yeah, I I haven't, I need to go down the rabbit hole and read more, but whenever I read short (laughs) snippets of stuff, what book was it I read? I read um, Introduction to Christianity. Oh my God. Which I don't, (laughs) introduction ain't the right word. That is like, boom. (laughs) It's huge, man. It's phenomenal. Um, It's, yeah, if you're, if you're philosophically minded and you can read deep stuff, it's, it, it maybe is an introduction, but like if you're just going to pick a book up off the shelf for some light reading, that ain't it. Yeah, maybe it'll start with that one. (laughs) That ain't it. Oh, so it was so good though. Um, No, but there's some books, you know, like, oh, that that was good. Like I learned mm -hmm. something. And then there's books that are like, wow, my life has been turned upside down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so good. Um, all, right. all right. Should uh, we keep going? I say so. Let's, okay. uh, let's see. We're going for an hour let's and 10 minutes. So see. I say we keep going till we find. Oh, boy. We could know. stop. So there's two somewhat long paragraphs in section in this, you know, paragraph three. And we could stop at four. You think we can make it? That, that sounds good to me. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll just read through it. Well, I probably we will probably stop, but we'll see. Okay. We'll be uh, we'll be hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One engages in the apostolate through faith, uh, through the faith, hope, and charity which the Holy Spirit diffuses in the hearts of all members of the church. Indeed, by the precept of charity, which is the Lord's greatest commandment, all of the faithful are impelled to promote the glory of God through the coming of his kingdom and to obtain eternal life for all men that they may know the only true God and him whom he sent, Jesus Christ. On all Christians, therefore, is laid the preeminent responsibility of working to make the divine message of salvation known and accepted by all men throughout the world. Excellent. This definitely reminds me of the opening of Dave Airboom as well, mm-hmm. which we'll have mm-hmm. to do a series on as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but, just, uh, just to kind of yeah. make our point again, that we're always preceding this document by our conversation. You had mentioned that it, you know, 
Jesus, that Jesus is sent from the Father, like that's, you know, mm-hmm. here it is right there, that they may know the only true God and him whom he sent, Jesus Christ. Like even that language is kind of yeah. in here after we were chewing through it ourselves. Um, Absolutely. And then, I mean, just for everyone watching, if it wasn't clear, <laughs> you might be going, what is God's plan for my life? Well, yeah. I don't know the specifics, but in some <laughs> sense, you have, quote, the preeminent responsibility of working to make the divine message of salvation known and accepted by all men throughout the world. So yep. I'm not going to give you the full script, Dom and I, we're not going to give you that, but, <laughs> but it's, it, you know, in some sense, everyone is called to this, you know, um, no, we don't get to just be, um, sacrament people who just go to the sacraments and just kind of hog them all. And then they're like, Oh, that was a nice message. I, you know, the Eucharist was cool to reflect on. And then I'm just going to go not do anything. Like if that's not propelling you and launching you into like active evangelization in some kind or, or charisms of some sort in some way participating in this, well, maybe we should rethink (laughs) then how we're approaching it. Cause that, that's the responsibility of all of us. So totally agree with you. And I mean, that was, that was very much so a preconciliar problem that, Again, Balthazar mentions in one of his books, uh, Raising the Bastions, which is that like we kind of had become a ghetto church and not just like physically or like geographically or culturally or sociologically, but even like theologically. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think this council is is much wider theologically. It's, mm-hmm. it's taken it's trying to drink uh, from a fire hose. Right. All of the fathers, East and West and all the scholastics, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to channel the whole tradition. So it's definitely a fire hose moment. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a problem. And you do see it even today, though. There's a lot of Catholics like they check the boxes mm-hmm. and sometimes they're like they genuinely believe and they're like, you know, they're orthodox and they receive the sacraments. They might even go to the Tridentine liturgy. But that's kind of where it stops. You know, as long as I have my liturgy, I'm comfortable with that. You know, no abuses, which obviously is laudable. I, mean, I would hope so. Right. You know, right. but then it's like as long as you give me a proper and reverent liturgy, I'm content. And then they go home mm-hmm. and they do nothing. Mm-hmm. No. Like, that's not what the church is about. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so it's, again, bringing back, you know, reverence and mission together. I think that was another divide that we mm-hmm. saw, which is you had the irreverent masses with a, a bunch of mission. The mission's good. But then right. you had the reverent masses and not very much mission. And not very much mission. Yeah, sort yeah. of folding in on itself. Yeah. 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 And, and the, the you know, what's funny is you've been saying how Eucharistic this all is. And this is what I often say to, like, because there's, there's a, you know, on the ground, people can be like, well, that's great. I get that I'm supposed to do this, but like how, how, at least for me, I'll just speak from experience. Yeah. The more powerfully I encounter the Eucharist, the more that this isn't even a thought. It just is natural. It just happens. Like, like when you really, truly, deeply are encountering Jesus in the Eucharist and not, and like you said, not just going through the motions um, mm-hmm. and, and not just, you know, checking the boxes, but when you're actually having a profound encounter with mm-hmm. Christ in the Eucharist, you can't help it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I think it's the prophet Jeremiah that says like, you know, I've, I've, I've got it in my belly. I have to preach. I have to get it out. I have to, that, that just happens, you know? Um, it's just, and it's, it's human. Like if you think about like, just to take it to like almost a business aspect, as I often do in my analogies, if you buy a product that you're really happy with, like you just naturally want to tell people, I found this amazing thing. Like we're designed to be evangelists. So it's not like God is, you know, making you obey by, by doing something contrary to your your nature. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I guess maybe this is a practical point. I'd love to hear your response to this. If you are not finding yourself naturally excited and active in your mission or in your vocation outwards to the world, start with trying to encounter Jesus. Like, 
Yeah. Just like go to adoration and, and, and just say, Lord, I know this is what you want for me. And I know that this is what I'm designed to do. Mm-hmm. I want to experience you. I want to know you. I want to encounter you in the, in this, in a deeper way than I ever have. Yeah. Um, and usually our Lord, if you give him an inch, he'll take a whole mile. And so he'll just, he'll blow you yeah. wide open with, with that encounter. And, and, um, and then you, it's yeah. not even like, it won't even be a thought. You'll be like, Oh man, I just, I have to do this. And and you'll be surprised at how natural it is. I, that's at least my experience. But, um, Absolutely. cause I think people listening will be like, what's the practical step? Well, maybe that's the practical step is like, maybe it's, I need to encounter Jesus really deeply and, and truly maybe, maybe for the first time in that really personal way. No, absolutely. I think um, we need to be, we need to allow ourselves to be touched by beauty. Mm. You know, uh, it's like, wh- what do I do? Like, uh, you know, this is all great what you guys are saying. Like, okay, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, do you have a proper sense of beauty? So like, do you actually read, watch, listen to beautiful things? Mm-hmm. I think that's where it starts. Forget mm-hmm. about this whole dichotomy between religious and secular. Mm-hmm. What is actually truly beautiful? Like, can so, you know, if you're listening to this, can you think of something that's truly beautiful? Maybe spend time with that. I mean, honestly, that's I saw you was that your wife. <laughs> that was my wife, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> she, she's over there editing, so she had to she had to duck past. Uh, okay. But <laughs> no, that's great. No, but I I think that because St. Paul, I, I can't remember again what verse it is. I was talking to a friend about this recently. He says all that is you know beautiful, good, noble, gentle, you know all these things. Mm-hmm. Think on those things. He's not mm-hmm. saying all that religious stuff, you know, mm-hmm. about the afterlife. Think mm-hmm. on that. But the secular stuff like shopping at Walmart, you know, don't think about that. No, he's <laughs> saying there is no like secular religious divide in, in Paul's mind. What there is is what's beautiful, right? And what's mm-hmm. beautiful because of his sacramental worldview, you know, it always points to Christ, to the mm-hmm. glory of the Lord, which also shines in the splendor of his church. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, <laughs> Eric's there. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, my point being is, I think we got to allow ourselves to be wooed by beauty. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something I, I recently heard uh, David Schindler bring up uh, and he was taking it from Balthazar, which is that there's something about the truth that, you know, when we receive it, we're passive. Mm-hmm. It affects us. There's something about the good that's more active. We tend towards it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the beautiful that is both simultaneously it's both receptive and passive where we are stunned by the the you know the splendor that's mm-hmm. in front of us and yet mm-hmm. we're drawn we're drawn out of ourselves there's this ecstasy of beauty and there's something about beauty that has both the effect of the true and of the good and that can lead us into the true and the good mm-hmm. so really the the whole point of this tangent is to say what's beautiful in your life think on mm. that Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so yeah. yeah no i totally agree all right well here i'll go we'll read the last uh, this last paragraph here yeah all right let's do it for the exercise of this apostolate the holy spirit who sanctifies the people of god through ministry and the sacraments gives the faithful special gifts also allotting them to everyone according as he wills in order that individuals administering grace to others just as they have received it may also be good stewards of the manifold grace of God to build up the whole body in charity. There's Ephesians 4 again. From the acceptance of these charisms, including those which are more elementary, there arise for each believer the right and the duty to use them in the church and in the world for the good of men and the building up of the church in the freedom of the Holy Spirit who breathes where he wills. 
This should be done by the laity in communion with their brothers in Christ, especially with their pastors, who must make a judgment about the true nature and proper use of these gifts, not to extinguish the Spirit, but to test all things and hold for what is good. Excellent. Notice how it's, uh, you know, Vatican II gets criticized for being overly optimistic, and we mm-hmm. can talk about that. But the point here is at the end there, you see how it's actually saying, don't be overly enthusiastic, mm-hmm. test the spirits, you know, make sure it actually is the Holy Spirit. It's mm-hmm. so another example there of uh, the council actually being much more level-handed than people give it credit for. Uh, again, yeah. I have people in mind when I say things like this. But, say, it should be done yeah. in communion with your brothers in Christ. So if you're like, uh-huh. oh, God's calling me to break communion with the Catholic Church. No, he's not. There you go. There. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> oh, it's yep. funny. I've actually told my priest, I was like, hey, because he watches some of my stuff, which is, mm-hmm. is really cool. Uh, so Father Matthew, if you're watching, um, I told him one time, I was like, if I ever say anything that's out of line, you have permission to, to rebuke me, but if it really needs to happen, you can you can actually slap me if you need to. So that, you know, like I and I think it's important. Like if you're especially yeah. if you're in Catholic media, consider this. Like have a good relationship with your priest or with with a confessor of some sort. You know, a priest that you're close with, um, mm-hmm. and and like submit to him honestly. Like, hey, yeah. do you watch my yeah. stuff? Yeah, cool. Thanks for doing that. Tell me yeah. if I'm going off the rails, man. You know, and I, yeah. I've done that. And I think I, I would encourage anyone else in Catholic media. Who no, hasn't. Yeah. So. And I love the, 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 they bring in the pastors and them having the, mm-hmm. the authority to make judgments, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, uh, this is not a horizontalist democratic document whatsoever. Mm-hmm. As, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, you, you'll probably keep hearing my criticisms of criticisms of Vatican, of Vatican II as we II. talk through yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, man. There's, there's a lot of good stuff in here. One, one thing that stuck out just about the text itself here is that if you look at it, like almost, almost three quarters of this is just a quotation of scripture. And that's true yeah. of a lot of these documents, but make right oh, yeah. here, it's really clear. Like scripture, scripture, it's profoundly scripture, scripture. scripture. Yeah. Scripture. And the scripture. ideas are just the developments of the mm-hmm. scriptural themes. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's um, steeped in the word of God. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I think it, this is a go ahead and uh, make your comment. But uh, I think this is an excellent place when it comes to the reading to, to stop. Because No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah we're getting yeah. close. We're getting up on time. But too, what were you so. going to say? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you know, again, to mention that all of these things that you're called to do, the, the mm-hmm. gifts that, you know, first off, God is giving everyone some sort of special gift, some sort of charism yeah. um, and well, why do some people get this one and that one? Well, that's up to God. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the potter speaking to the clay yeah. in a sense. But yeah. they're to administer grace just as they have received it, that you could be a good steward of it. So to be a good steward mm-hmm. of the grace of God in your life is to to be active in those charisms, to discern what mm-hmm. what what the Spirit is giving you and to be active in it, you know, yeah. um, for the sake of others. Like somebody needs what you naturally, the gift that you're given, the, the charism that you're given. Yeah. Um and man, if, yeah, if, if, if you don't know it, like that, that, take a, take a week or two, pray through discerning it, ask people in your life. You can do a discernment test on some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at right here. You have a right, not just a right, but also a duty to use yeah. them in the church and the world for the good of men, you know? Yeah. And in a way, what a high heroic call. Like this is what I always think about with this document is we aren't called to live boring, mundane lives and like just go to work and just retire someday and have a couple hobbies. We're called the lives of like of epic heroism, really. And and God has given us charisms uniquely and individually for that end. 
And I mean, who doesn't want to get to the end of their life and go, wow, that was a ride. Like that was, <laughs> that was awesome. And, yeah. and so, yeah, like saints don't have boring lives. They might have simple lives. They might have um, meek lives, but they're not boring. They're almost always profoundly heroic, you know? And I, and I think that the yeah. charisms, at least in my experience is where that happens because the way that the spirit is moving through you mm-hmm. is, is where this, like where your, where your duty to, to build the church up is. So yeah, I think disturbing that is just, is um, non-negotiable <laughs> for <laughs> everyone listening, non-negotiable. So anyways, that's my thought on it. No, I love it. No, th- this is chock filled with uh, so much insight. And I think we already are starting to tap into what we're going to talk more about through this series, which mm-hmm. is the universal call to holiness and how mm. that is the answer to all our complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so all this church politics and stupid, you know, world politics and secular politics, the mm-hmm. answer is the ultimate thing the council asked for when it comes to practice which is the universal call to holiness Mm -hmm. but i think this is a great place to stop and you know we want to not have people check out with their attention but we're going to continue this series drew and i and uh um i'm excited about it and uh, we're going to go through the entire document hopefully that's the plan and uh, if it is received well and you know if we have fun most importantly because i'm having people (laughs) watch it or not you know i don't (laughs) care you know right uh, you know, then maybe we'll do another document. And but yeah. the, I think uh, I think this is important because I get a lot of complaints as to like Don, you keep talking about Vatican II and it's pro- it's it's uh, improper uh, implementation. But like, why is nobody explaining the council to us? And my mm. answer is, all right, let's do this. <laughs> let's just go right in there, man. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. encounter the documents, have some commentary. Which, if you're going to disregard mm. anything in this, just disregard our commentary. <laughs> Right, read the and document, just yeah. read the documents. Yeah, and, and Pope Benedict. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. and Pope Benedict. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, man. All well, right. this is a fun first installment, so I think it'll be Definitely. good. Definitely. Yeah. Any anybody that's watching, so the next episode we're gonna do on Drew's channel, we're gonna be ping ponging back and forth between yep. my channel and Drew's channel, and all of the links will be in the show notes to the next episode in the series, and we'll see if we can put it all together in a in a playlist, a playlist or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if you enjoyed this uh, content, please like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. And if you want to support my channel, then we can do this for Drew after. <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash the Logos Project. And, uh, and you know what, uh, Drew, uh, where can they support you? I wish I had a banner for that. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, you can just go subscribe, Drew the Catholic, on YouTube. And I have drewthecatholic.locals.com. Um, you can sign up for free and see some of the stuff I post, or you can also financially support there if you want, but mostly just sharing and, uh, and engaging with the content's the best thing. So, and that's for, excellent for you, for people watching. <laughs> so, all right, guys, we'll see you guys next Monday at five thirty PM Eastern time. Drew, a pleasure as usual. And I'll see you next yeah, time. Likewise. Too. All right. See ya. All right. Bye.